Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, the Drop-In CEO, and I want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I have these amazing guests who come on and share their insights with you. And in the process, I certainly hope they inspire you. And I do ask, please subscribe, rate, review, and most of all, download and also share this podcast with others because others can potentially benefit from this amazing content. And just know the reason why I put these podcasts out there is I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate challenges and opportunities with confidence. And today, I am so excited to invite back on my special guest, Rick Maurer, who is a seasoned advisor, consultant, and coach specializing in guiding senior leaders through the intricate landscapes of organizational change. Oh my, and I am going there because I'm going through that as well, and focused on alleviating that frustration that often accompanies the uphill battle of garnering support for transformative initiatives. And he's the architect behind the transformative change without migraines program. We're going to spend so much time on that. But Rick, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Deb. It's really good to be here. You know, and what I love about networking, it's something that sometimes we don't do very well, but I picked up my my contact book. I sent out a request to Rick to say, hey, it's been a while. We haven't spoken. Let's just get to, you know, see what's going on. And he shared with me this amazing initiative that he has been rolling out and sharing with so many leaders. It is really, really, really important that we have this conversation and bring you some actionable insights because change is hard. But unless we have the essentials, change is impossible. So, Rick, I would love for you first, just tell our listeners a little bit more about your backstory, just to reacquaint some of them with you, get to know you, and then how did you get into this work that you're doing now? Sure thing. When I first became a consultant, I was an organization development consultant, which meant I was paying attention to the human part of what was going on. And in the early 90s, a lot of my clients started talking about changes. And whenever they talked about it, they added in the phrase resistance to change. And they said, what should we do? And so I started looking around and I couldn't find very much that that made sense to me. Like there was one book out and the whole emphasis was, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Kind of a tit for tat exchange. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't get to the fundamental reasons why somebody might support or resist you. And so I kept looking more and more, looked into psychology and other places and ended up coming up with my own model. And I'll just tell what it is because it'll probably figure into what we're doing. I think that there are three levels of resistance. And I call them levels just because level one is the easiest, two is harder, three is hardest. So level one is I don't get it. I don't understand what you're talking about. It's just cognitive. That that happens all the time. Somebody from one department goes into another department and they have a hard time, you know, getting the human resources people to understand the world of IT, language, all of that. But it's simple. It's the easy, easiest one to fix. Level two is I don't, I don't like it. This is an emotional reaction. It's based on fear. You know, it's not like, oh, I don't like Brussels sprouts. It's if I eat Brussels sprouts, I'm going to die. It has that kind of feeling about it. Like, wow, if we do this, I'm going to lose my job. 
I'm going to lose face that. And level three is I don't like you. And what that really means is I don't have trust and confidence in you to lead something like this. Now, the good news is those are all the resistance side, but it's just energy. So there's a positive side. And so there are times when people get it, they like it, they like us or trust us. And, and that dynamic field is always alive in a change. So it's working for us or against us. And we just need to be paid, just like we pay attention before we go outside. You talked, you were outside, you know, it, it was muddy out. So you probably dressed appropriate for them being muddy out kind of thing. And it's, it's exactly that kind of thing. Like what's, you know, what's the wind like in the room right now? You know what I like about that? You talk about kind of the positive and the negative energy, the resistance to, I just don't understand. People need to make sure that they don't misinterpret the energy, to your point, negative energy versus positive energy. People might ask a lot of questions about the initiative, and you might think, oh, they're poking holes in this. They don't trust me. But wait a second. I want people to think about changing their mindset. When you get people to engage and ask questions, or gee, we've tried that before, what you've done is you've gotten the human mind to go. You've gotten the emotional energy going. Don't Mm -hmm. misinterpret engagement and questioning of what you're trying to do as being resistance and negative. Flip your mindset. It might actually be positive. They're curious. They're interested. And if you go from a positive side, you might be able to pull them over (laughs) through that change faster. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I I would go, uh, you know, if people are skeptical of what you're saying, and I'm agreeing with, is if you keep hearing the same questions over and over again, then maybe it's that's all that it's safe to ask. Or maybe you're a bad communicator. But if you're getting tough questions, that's a good thing. It gives you a chance to engage with people. It is. It is. And I actually remember a story of somebody that um, used to be a client of mine, and I was prepping them to be able to communicate a message, an initiative that the plant leader needed to understand. And she even had a whiteboard, and she was talking through it. She was very visual. And then the person asked a lot of questions, a lot of questions. And I remember after this thing that I prepped the person for, she called me and says, Deb, I was nearly in tears afterwards. He was poking holes and asking these questions. I said, No, it was not a disaster because she was thinking I totally messed up. No, you finally communicated and and got them to be aware of the issue. And they didn't understand your world. The fact that they were asking a lot of questions is a good thing. Keep going. (laughs) Fill in the blanks. But one of the things that, and the reason why I brought you back, and this is where I want my listeners to really, really, really listen, is that change can be scary. There can be resistance. It's the differences of energy. It's positive or negative. But what resonates with uh, me right now is I'm also going through a really huge initiative right now in getting leaders to understand lean. Lean is operational efficiencies. It's how you can get things through your line faster, improve service, get rid of waste. But there are essentials that are missing prior to any lean initiative that are critical for success. And I think you, in your own work, have cracked the nut on what people need to know about the essentials in terms of change. Well, how about that? For the listeners, I want to differentiate. You know, I, this is what I'm going to talk about is not a change management or project management plan. You may have your own plans. I work in companies that have their plans for lean. But these are some essentials that need to be there in whatever your plans are. And so would you like me to go through them or just? Uh, well, let's just go back and forth because it is right. a five-step approach. And I know that you are going to have something to share with our audience afterwards. But let's just maybe go into the first, the very first essential. Make sure you get started on the right foot. What's that about? Well, I know that sounds really obvious. But what I think is so important is 
The people leading the change have got to say, how important is this change? And if it's we're saying, oh, it's important, then are we prepared to provide the resources, which is time uh, for people, money, those kind of access to resources? Are we prepared to do that? The problem is in a lot of organizations, we, we come up with an idea and we go, yeah, it's important, of course. But now we got 10 critically important things on the table and people are going, yeah, which one do you want me to do? You know, so you need to say, how important is this? And if it's like, it's a nice to have, just be clear about that. It means it might be, go on the back burner for a while. But so that preparation is just they're saying, this, this is why it's so important. We're clear about that and we're clear where we want to go. You know, this gets me thinking about the Eisenhower matrix, what's important versus what is urgent. And I'm also working with another client right now that they are successfully going through amazing change and growth. And they're getting to the place where they are exceeding the capacity of the people to not just do the daily work, but any new initiatives. And I see this wonderful organization starting to have stress in their face and they're missing things and they get upset because they miss the details. It is important as a leadership imperative to make sure that you get started on the right foot and have the right resources. Yeah. Can I tell a quick story? Absolutely. This is your <laughs> this is this is your uh, stage today. <laughs> yeah, I I was doing a number of years ago. I was doing work with a, a, a nonprofit, and they were nationwide. But their staff, their professional staff, was ten people. Period. There were volunteers all over the place, and there was support staff. And they they called me in because they said we're just not accomplishing what we need to accomplish, and our our mission is really important, and and that. And I I said well. You know, I, I wonder why you're not accomplishing what you want. Well, just let's just list the things you're working on. They filled up a book chart and they had like ten things. And I said, you know, there are only ten of you. How could you possibly address all ten? And they said, because they're all so important. I said, but you say you're you say you're failing in all of them because yeah, but they're all so important. We can't let go of any of them. So it's this belief if it's not on the the, <laughs> the front burner, if it's not on the plate, uh, something bad's going to happen. But in fact, we're not, we're not getting anywhere simply because we're trying to do everything. And it's, I think, similar to the story that you just told. And I think we have to say at that first essential is, all right, these other things are important. This is what we're going to focus on right now. You know, I'm actually on a personal journey as well. I want to change the world and I want to do it at a rapid pace relative to my company, Illumination Partners. But I recently also worked with a coach on all these things I wanted to do. My video strategy, my book, updating my website. And I realized I was getting none of it done because it was just too big to get done. I was procrastinating and then I had all this negative self-talk. I can't do it and, and feeling bad about myself. People don't want to feel bad. They want to feel energized when they come to work. So I had to take some hard decisions and say, I'm just going to do one thing at a time. So, and stay healthy and stay sane. And and that's why this podcast is going to be on video because I got this great video strategy. Follow me over onto YouTube. Now back to you, Rick. <laughs> okay. Tell us about the next essential. If, yeah, the yeah. next essential. So let me make sure I get my wording right. I've been working <laughs> for this. This is a thing in progress. Is identify the support you're going to need and then stand behind it. So, and I by support, I'm really talking about a lot of different things like, yeah, you know, I need Deb to roll up her sleeves and dig in and do blah, blah, blah. From Harry over here, I bet I need to know that we have time or we have these resources. And so the support may look, you know, different, 
but it's it's not it's not soft. It's not fluffy. It's saying to be effective, we have got to have people behind this in a lot of ways, and then really look at from A to Z. Because sometimes we'll say, well, we got to get people involved, so we'll have a big meeting, and people get turned on, and that, and then nothing happens, you know, because <laughs> the leaders are busy. You know, I, I remember when I was first coming up with the model, I I, I, I drew this little thing, this uh, line going up, like there's all this energy at the beginning, and then it just drops immediately. I call it the Big Bang approach to change. And I said to my clients, they were laughing, and I said, so am I exaggerating? And they said. No, it happens every week around here. Mm. So it comes in with some big thing. And so what you need to do is say, all right, if this is a big thing, what do I need from these people? And how am I going to make sure that that support stays high a year from now or 18 months from now, or whenever the end of that project is supposed to be? And a lot of times that just is missing. So what are some examples of keeping that high energy going versus the next big thing, disrupting it. What, what, what are some things that you advise people? Because this is, in real life, this is happening to everybody. I think one thing that's really, really important is linking the why this is important to that first thing with the goal that I want to get. Forget about the steps. Forget about, just link those two things and if I let me give you two examples, like a sure. personal example, then I give a corporate. A, a few years ago, I wanted to hike, uh, do the rim to rim hike in the Grand Canyon. And what I wanted to do is do it within one day. It's 24 miles. There's a lot of elevation down and up, and that. And I called a client of mine who had done it a number of times, and he said, "Well, I got a question for you, Rick. I'm going to give you some options. You know, I you you want to do it in a day? Good." And he said. First of all, you know what failure looks like in the Grand Canyon, and I said yes. <laughs> but but we yeah, but that's important to realize. You know, I couldn't just I shouldn't just jump in there. I've seen people hike in the Grand Canyon with a little bottle of water. That is not enough. I mean, I think that day I went through four gallons of water. I mean, so anyway, so he said there are three ways to do it successfully. He said the first way is you make it to the other side, and you collapse but you made it to the other side. And some people go, that's good enough. That's all I want. I just want to be able to brag that I did the Grand Canyon in a day. He said, the other is you're in good shape. You came prepared and you do the hike within a day, but you're worried about, I mean, it's, it can be an interesting trail. And especially if it's dark, you know, you don't want to trip. I mean, there are places where that could be really hazardous. And so you could spend hours and hours looking at your feet. And he said, so here you are in one of the most beautiful spots on earth, and you're looking at your feet. And he said, but that's successful. He said, the third one is, you know, you're in shape, you've got what you need, and you do the hike, and it's just this wonderful walk, and you're enjoying this wonderful place, and you get to the other side, and you still got energy left. And I said, I want option three. Then he said, okay, here's what you need to do. So once I decided what goal wasn't just to get to the other side, but to do it with, you know, with these conditions. Then he said, here's what you need to do. I think that's exactly what we need to do in organizations. I mean, that's amazing. Like, we want this initiative. This is why it's important. But at the end of the day, we want to also retain our talent. We don't want anything to blow up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so let's just say, and we want happy people ta you know, talking about what a success it is. Talk about keep the outcome in mind. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me give you the corporate example, if you don't mind. Um, during World War II, Lockheed, it was not Lockheed Martin at the time, it was just Lockheed, was involved in the war effort in building a lot of stuff. And I, I may have some details wrong, but the, 
essence I've got right, uh, and I don't have my notes in front of me. One of the people, uh, can't remember his name, from Lockheed was part of a, I don't know, a senior planning group. Uh, it wasn't the Pentagon at the time, but wherever they met in the D.C. area. And they had just found out that the Germans had developed, I think, a fighter plane that could go 80 miles faster, 80 miles an hour faster than anything that we had, okay. which meant if we were going to ever do anything like a D-Day, it would be disastrous. In other words, we couldn't get on the con. And so everyone realized this is uh, you know, serious. And one of the people turned to the guy from uh, Kelly Johnson, was his name, turned to him and said, could Lockheed help with that? And he goes, yeah, sure. And so they said, yeah. And they said, but we need something, a prototype within 18 months that, that we can really start to produce it. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I mean, nobody had ever done this before. Nobody had ever built a, a thing that could go that fast. You know? And he said, yeah. So he goes back to his bosses and his bosses say, you know, obviously it's important, but all, is, all our production right now is going to the war effort. We are working round the clock seven days a week. He said, we don't have resources. He said, but if you can find a team, cobble together a team and find a place to work, you're to try. So what he did is he could go out and he would, you know, handpick. And it's a big enough company that he could do that. It wasn't destroying other projects. And there were no buildings, but there was a paint factory that they owned and terrible smells coming out of it. And it just, but there was a big field. So he bought a circus tent. So some of your... You know, listeners may remember when circuses were intense. They were these huge three-ring circuses. I mean, just huge. So he bought the tent, and he brought these people together and said, you know, okay, you all know the challenge is, you know, we have to have this in 18 months. And that was it. I mean, we know the challenge. We know where we need to be in 18 months. Now let's get to work. And then they said, how are we going to plan for this? How are we going to implement it? It was, instead of 180 days, they submitted a prototype that was met standards in 144 days. So they started, you know, but they didn't start by, okay, there's a need. All right, so what are our plans? Now, how are we going to implement? They really started with, I believe, the tension, a really good tension between here's the challenge and here's where we want to be. Because then that was the container for everything. And so for me doing the Grand Canyon, it was, yeah, here's the challenge and here's how I want to do it. Or I want to be able to do it following these. So inspirational because I am now working on a change management initiative within an organization and it's lofty. I mean, the company has been operating in a way for quite a long time and there are naysayers along the way because they really don't know any other way. Uh -huh. What I need to do is be very clear on, you know, what does a sunny day look like? What does the outcome look? What are our customers going to say about us because we've adopted a new way of working? Uh -huh. Ground people and get them to start visualizing what the future is. Okay, given that, these are the things we need to do and are you with me? Do yeah. I have you as a resource? What else do I need? Maybe say, this is how long we're going to need to do in order to achieve the outcome versus sometimes leaders have artificial implementation dates just because yes. they want to make a promise to a customer. But what will it take and what will you need to get there? Your trip to the Grand Canyon might have been 36 days so you can enjoy the view, come out all, exactly not trip, right. et cetera, you know? Yeah, most of my friends said I was nuts, by the way. Did you actually do it? Oh, yeah, I've done it twice then. That's amazing. I have never been to the Grand Canyon. I've only flown over it, so I will get there someday. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. 
And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, The CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. Amazing stories, but I think we need to move into what is that next essential that companies need? to minimize resistance. Yeah, grasp what it will take, which means what the people need to know and be able to do for this to be successful. And often we do an okay job with that and we provide training and, and that. And one of the problems I see with training is that sometimes we offer too much training. I've been in change management courses where instead of giving people one theory of change, they give them three. Instead of one personality theory, they give them two. And so if it was a university course, that would be fine. But what people need is something so they can get to work and know the corporate headquarters is behind this, that everyone's behind it. And so what I'm saying is, what do you need to be successful here? There, People could take a regular change management class or a, what, a lean class someplace else, but here it's what's going to serve this project. I think that's really important. And there's one thing that it just gets overlooked all the time is, and what skills are we going to need to make it successful in our culture? Ooh, ooh, go, yeah. go, go there. <laughs> well, it's, you know, a guy named Kurt Lewin, who's kind of, was kind of the daddy for group work, all that kind of stuff about a century ago, uh, has this really elegant little equation, which I can't write in midair, but it's basically behavior is a function of the person and the environment. So whatever behavior you're getting is not not just Rick Maurer, but it's Rick Maurer working in the environment that he's working in or that, that Deb's working in. And it's it's paying attention to that, that, that now our strategies can be different. Uh, when I've done a lot of work in kind of kind of human growth groups, nonprofits, there are things that people like to do. They like to spend a lot of time checking in, talking about that. They're proud to be touchy-feely. I... And, and I've done a lot of work in those places, but I also have done a lot of work in high-tech places like aerospace and IT places. They would hate that. So I've got to understand the culture I'm working in. And, and the idea is I need to be comfortable, but I need to be comfortable in relation to them too. I mean, and so, and we forget that sometimes, so. I can agree with that. But what I like what you said was to make sure we ask questions like, what do you need? What do I need for this situation, for you, for your group, et cetera? Because when you talked early on about training, it's one direction communication and assuming uh, that people will get it or understand it. But when you engage and say, okay, well, this is where we're going. Here's some knowledge that you can use along the way. What do you need? I've even seen operating in different cultures. I have difference between, you know, Asian and maybe Europe. I have seen 
seen different levels of adoption. You go to Asia, again, respectfully, they may not ask a lot of questions. Right. And so when you're trying to make the change or disseminate information, you've got to verify. In another culture, and some in Europe, they don't want to make the change because they've got their standards and they're very good at executing. Uh-huh. What they enjoy, though, is the engagement and the conversation. And once in their heads, they adopt it. Then that becomes the new standard and they're excellent at executing. Again, you have to adopt to the environment on what they need because one size doesn't fit all. Yeah. Yeah. So. By the way, and that's uh, earlier in my career, and I hope I'm not doing it nearly as much now. I I would not pay attention to that. It's not that I didn't want to pay attention. I didn't even think to pay attention mm-hmm. to it. And I, I remember working actually with a Native American tribe and was using this one personality theory that I'd used a lot and I had good stories and all that. And I realized a lot of my presentation had to really built was built on people asking questions or saying, hey, what about this? What about that? Nothing happened. And on a break, though, and I thought, God, what, what am I doing wrong? On a break, there was a line of about 20 people waiting to talk to me one-on-one because wow. in that culture, you know, that you don't talk about stuff like that publicly. And I missed that completely. But one-on-one was fine. Yeah, it was a, it was a you know, fortunately, it's a lesson that, I mean, they forgave me for. And, uh, but but it, was a, it was a really good lesson to get. Like, yeah, uh-huh. just because I like it this way and I know people will laugh at that joke, that, that's, that's really not enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> so always remember, ask what they, people need in order to be successful. So once you have the essential of grasping what it takes and asking people what they need, what then is the next essential that people need to consider? In my experience, the next one hardly even gets touched on. Mm. And that's experiment and refine. So I need these skills, whether it's doing lean or whatever I'm doing, I need skills. And probably in the training, I'll get some role play practice or some case studies. All of that can be perfectly fine. What's missing is actually doing it with real people on a real project in a safe environment so you can learn something. And it's like uh, you take a few golf lessons and you say, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good. I think I'm going to enter the Masters. Well, <laughs> there's a gap there. And you know, and when we take give somebody big training and say, okay, but next week, you need to facilitate that meeting of 150 people, and it needs to be interactive. Suddenly, it's, you might as well say, you know, uh, go to the masters. I mean, it's just, it, it's this gap. And uh, some of my psychologist friends talk about creating safe emergencies, and that is that I can try something new. And I'll give you a couple of examples of it. But if it, if it succeeds, that's great. I can learn from that. If it fails, I don't lose space. Nothing bad has happened. I just get to go, oh, yeah. So for instance, I have a lot of clients who really are uncomfortable in big groups and, and you know, opening up the conversation. And a bad thing for me as a consultant to do is say, no, 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 you need to open it up. We need to make this really participate. You know, could you, you can see, you know, <laughs> the blood pressure rising. And I say, well, this is a three-hour meeting. Would you be comfortable with 15 minutes of kind of open-ended Q&A? And they might go, Oh, that's way too long. Okay, what would work? Or, no, I can do more than that. But it's taking something so that if it doesn't work, you can close it off quickly enough. But then the key thing is you can sit back and you can learn from it. Like when I, you know, it's like learning to ski 
you know, and there are all the, I'm not a downhill skier, but there are all these slopes, like there's a bunny slope and there's a double black diamond. And you might go, you know, I had a few lessons and the teacher said I did well this morning. I think I'll do this double black diamond. It's <laughs> exciting. That is, that's a dangerous <laughs> slope that you're better off probably going on the bunny slope or the next one up for a while to say, oh yeah, I really need to work yeah. on this. I need to work on that. So, so I have a business example, but I'm going to go to a personal example. So many people, maybe you don't know, I am an amateur curler. And so we're in curling wow. season where we throw stones on ice, sweep and yell at people. But we have these learn to curls and we do teach them. We give them a two hour session to teach the basics of curling. And some people get it out of the gate and we're saying, sign you up for my team. But others might need a little bit more. So sometimes, yeah, you can get the basics. But I then take newer curlers onto the team with myself and my husband, and we may or may not win a game. But now when they're on a team, we're continually yes. teaching them, asking them questions and training. And so many people have said, this has been so amazing because if I didn't have that opportunity to continually learn and try things out and fall on my rear end, um, right. I might just stay a social member and not fully engage in the culture. So right. creating a safe environment for people to try things and gain their confidence along the way is critical. Yeah. So if we had to like exit now, just experimenting, refining, building people's confidence, what then would be the next and final essential? The final essential is that now we need to embed all the best practices. So sometimes what happens with the change is that we plan, we do it well, we implement, we do it well, and then we measure success on, do we come in on time, on budget, do people get the training they needed? Do we get the equipment we needed? That's all important, but it misses a crucial next step, and that is, are we getting value from this? Mm. And oddly enough, so many plans don't have that. And so I think one way of supporting the value is that you're embedding all those practices of involvement, of whatever, of, of places to practice while you're out there, you know, trying to make this a part of the culture so that it becomes our new way of working. So we don't just have open meetings where people can ask any questions they want during a planning meeting. But then we're starting to go, yeah, that's a culture of our organization where it can be really, in some organizations, all five of those, people just do that already. They don't need this, you know. But place, there are a lot of places where I've worked where like one or two, sometimes even three, they go, oh, yeah, we really are pretty bad at that. And those are places to do some work. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm so glad you came on here because it, it – because again, I, like I said, I'm in a, a change management initiative and what works in one place, look at that best practice because probably the rest of the organization needs it. I have found that on some of the projects, the reason why it's hard for these initiatives is they don't have a sponsor. Yeah, they have to report out to management every once in a while. But I'll tell you, I had a problem getting a project forward. As soon as I said, wait a second, where's my sponsor? Because I'm hitting every boulder along the way. As soon as it got clear who my sponsors were and my stakeholders, I was able to plow through. Well, I did so well on that project. They gave me a new one and out of the gate, I said, I need a sponsor. I said, because otherwise it's going to be an uphill battle to push this thing through. Yep. But if somebody else's, their neck is on the line that this has to be successful and they're my go-to. So we're starting to replicate that same structure in order to get the value out of the work that people are spending. Yeah, that's cool. That's a great story. Yeah, like so this is amazing. So I so appreciate you sharing these essentials because like I said at the beginning of the show, we can have change initiatives. But unless we have essentials in place, they may look good on the surface, but they will fail or they are not sustainable. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so this is amazing. And just let me ask a question. Is this just now rolling out or is this a refinement of the work you've already done? Because I want people, if this sounds interesting, for them to reach out to you about this. So is this just rolling out or this has been in practice with some of your clients for a while? This is just rolling out. Okay. You're one of the first people to hear about it. I did one other podcast and of course I tell my friends I bore them senseless with it. But I, I haven't used it. I haven't used it with many I haven't used it in a serious way with with anyone yet, but I've had good conversations. And when the conversations I'm looking at, are their eyes rolling? Are they pushing back? And I'm getting a lot of support like, oh yeah. That oh, yeah, we need that. So um, right. so it's brand it's really is pretty new for me. <laughs> Boom. So this is exactly the kind of value that I want to bring to my listeners out there. I know you're listening to me, but this is the reason why I bring people like you on. Yes, I do bring a lot of CEOs on. Yes, you're the CEO of your own company. But this is insight that others need to leverage because if you've been beating yourself against the wall, trying to and paying consultants for these change initiatives and you're not getting the value, there may be some essentials that are missing. Yeah. So I would love to give you the floor one last time as we bring this to a close, are there any last thoughts you want to share with our listeners or how to get a hold of you or anything you want to offer them? Well, the, the one last bit of advice mm-hmm. is don't make the human part so hard. Uh, you know, just go, what's what's important to me? And and mm-hmm. often that can be a good guide. And unless you just are somebody who has blinders on, that you might need some other help. But it's, you know, just go, all right, if I was sitting in the audience for this meeting, if I was, you know, a new state what what would I want? And it's often, it's, it's a good way to go. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. You know, it doesn't have to be catered. You know, I mean, it just, uh, that stuff is nice, but it's the essentials. I think most of my clients, if I say, well, what would make this a good meeting? They know, you know, and then, then PowerPoint gets in the way or, or, you know, inviting people who didn't need to be there, all of that. So that would be my bit of advice. If people want to get in touch with me, in fact, if, if they've, enjoyed this talk about essentials and say, yeah, but I have a problem with this one. I'd love to talk about it. You know, just give me a call. I would love, I love, you know, I'm not, I'm turning into a sales call to think of it as a virtual cup of coffee. And the way to get in touch with me is through my website, which is rickmauer.com, or you can go rick at rickmauer.com and it's M-A-U-R-E-R. And um, yeah, I would love to hear from you. I love talking about this and it helps me, frankly, this conversation. And if they call, this really helps me refine this. So I'm glad that's been helpful. This assessment, these five essentials, can people find this anywhere? Well, that yeah, if they if they send me a note and say, hey, I want those, I've got it. I I'm just now starting to distribute it, but it's free. Uh, and I'm gonna keep it free. So yeah, all they have to do is say, they could write and say, I don't want to talk to you, but I want to get the thing. That's 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 fine. <laughs> I just too. want to get to the point. But you know what? They'll probably reach out to you because once you identify what are some of the gaps and where you may score low, you need a guide or somebody to talk to. So please, to my audience, reach out to Rick Maurer. And I just want to say I am glad I took a risk to have you back on because I knew this topic was so important. I got so much out of it. And I just want to say thank you for dropping in on the podcast and I wish you well and much success. Thank you. Same, Deb. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. 
To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.